sportsmanship, confidence building, positive attitude, learning from failure, and success. You'll find it all here. This is Sports Psychology Today with Dr. Andrew Jacobs, Digital Edition. Sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and this is Sports Psychology Today. This is a weekly podcast show where I take interviews with different people from around the sports world and talk about the mental side of sports. I've been in practice for 36 years as a sports psychologist in the Kansas City area and enjoy doing this show every week because we delve into the mind. We talk about mindsets and attitudes, focuses, preparation, self-confidence. I like to talk about success and failure, winning and losing. And today we're going to be talking with Kent Wood. He's a biomechanics expert and tennis coach, and we'll be talking with him live from Wimbledon this morning as he coaches a player over there. We're going to talk about his perspective on the mental side of sports. You know, as a sports psychologist, I like to work with people on how to be the best they can be. My definition of winning is not coming in first, but did you do your best? I always like to say you can have a 1,000 people run a 5K road race, and if everybody runs their best time, they're all winners. We spend a lot of time in this country focusing on results. And in sports, unfortunately, we spend so much time on wins and losses, I don't think we spend enough time trying to concentrate on what it takes to get there. The mindset, the attitude, the self-focus, the belief inside, that's, that's what it comes down to. My favorite saying is you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with the stronger mind will be the one who'll come out on top. I learned years ago from my great uncle, Hirsch Jacobs, this quote, sports is the greatest theater in the world. Everyone knows their part, but no one knows what will happen. When he died in 1970, he was the winningest trainer in horse racing history. But he taught me so much about life and about success and failure that it really comes down to this. It's about your effort. It's about your attitude. Yes, we all want to win. We all want to succeed. But in the end, How hard did you work for it? How hard did you try for it? And now we're going to be talking with Kent Wood. He is a biomechanics expert, a tennis professional. He's got a diverse career in a lot of sports, mountain biking and ballet, played collegiate tennis, and he's talking to us live from Wimbledon this morning. Kent, thank you for joining us today on Sports Psychology Today. Thank you, Dr. Jacobs. I'm glad to be with you. You know, I'm interested. Your background is so diverse. You've done a lot of different things, and you uh, work with professional tennis player. You travel. You go to the Grand Slams. As we said, you're currently at Wimbledon right now. The mental side of sports, which is what I delve into as a sports psychologist, to me, in the end, is what it comes down to. I always like to say you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with the stronger mind is the one who will come out on top. As someone who's been around sports basically your whole life and done so many different things, how important is the mental side? And then we're going to talk about being in a, in a pressure-packed tournament like Wimbledon here in a moment. But what would you say from the mental perspective? How important is that? That's a, that's a million-dollar question. And the solution to that is you know, obviously sometimes difficult because we deal with so many different personalities, different bodies, uh, different skill sets. And all of these athletes grew up learning to perfect their skill, their sport. Uh, and then they get to a point where they realize they need to go to a new level, um, reach new accomplishments, and they don't know how. And that's where the coaches, good coaches and sports psychologists come in to, to help them learn how to harness the better self, as I like to say sometimes. You know, it's so t- important because it's yeah, – go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I'm sorry. It's, it's so seldom that the best athlete is the one on top. 
usually, I think, in my opinion, and I think a lot of other uh, coaches' opinions, it's the athlete that is able to bring the body and the mind together and work as a unit. Well, I always like to say you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with the stronger mind will be the one who will come out on top. And so you're pretty much saying the same thing as, as me. And, you know, I, I've been working as a sports psychologist for 36 years. I've had a lot of experience with tennis players. I myself played, have played tennis my whole life since I was eight. And being in a, in a tournament like Wimbledon, obviously one of the, the probably the premier t- tournament in the, in the world, the pressure associated with that is so strong. How do athletes handle that pressure at a tournament like that? Because I, the way I look at it, it doesn't matter what the tournament it is. It doesn't matter where you're at. You're playing tennis. You know, you're in the middle of the third game in the first set. You forget you're at Wimbledon. You're playing tennis. But how important is the mental preparation from your perspective, Kent, with that? It is extremely important the bigger the tournament gets, i found, because players, athletes, have a tendency to put a lot of pressure on themselves. And the external pressures then get compounded on top of that. And at a Grand Slam, for example, there are several different things that add pressure that they may not have at other tournaments. Uh, for one, the money is much higher. Uh, the chance to make as much money in one or two weeks as you might would all year. That's a lot of financial pressure. Then you have the points. They're chasing points all year. A lot of points here. They have that in the back of their minds. That if I get these, if I win three matches here, that will put me into a position to get into other tournaments. You have media and sponsor pressures. There's the also the belief that I belong at the top, but if I can't win these big tournaments, do I really fit in? So there's so many pressures that that they have uh, coming from growing up, you know, trying to everything's on their own shoulders as a tennis player versus a team sport player, and then you add these external pressures. They often don't know how to handle that on their own. So what's the best way to assist them with that? What what do you do? working with, with the, the players you work with, how do you help them get through that and deal with that? The first thing I do is really spend some time analyzing the athlete, finding out what their belief systems are. Because if you try to give an athlete something to focus on and a path to go down that they don't believe in or that they aren't uh, ready for, then you know, you're going to be spinning your wheels. So the first thing is my job is to assess them. And then once I make an assessment, there's a lot of dialogue, a lot of conversations about uh, what do they want and where do they believe that they can get to. Um, and after I do that, then we start talking about uh, visualization, things we visualize on. And there are a lot of, you know, I'm sure you know there are a lot of uh, methods in psychology to help people break old habits or establish new habits, uh, positive thinking. So we start delving into a lot of those uh, methods once we get to know the athlete. I've spent a long time, 36 years, working as a sports psychologist, and I've sort of developed a philosophy along the way of four key words, Kent, that I work with. Preparation, focus, attitude, confidence. You know, to me, it starts with the preparation mentally, physically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, nutritionally, all the different components that go into getting ready to play. Then that affects your focus, which is how you concentrate. What are you concentrating on and what are the distractions? That then affects your attitude, which is how you feel about things, and in the end, it affects your confidence. What do you think about that? I totally agree with you on that. Um, fortunately, by the time I get to the level of playing, uh, coaching a player that can compete at Wimbledon, they have the diet, the, the fitness, the, the, the focus, and the belief uh, in, in place usually. But what happens is, is all of a sudden the pressure's on, and they see things aren't going their way. They, they may not go to the next level. They don't know how to get themselves back grounded. And so I spend my time then teaching them little 
methods of getting their minds back where it needs to be on the focus part and getting their bodies relaxed so they can be themselves. You know, that's, that's a great thing to do, and I, I totally support you on that and believe in that. You know, when I watch tennis, as I have my whole life, you know, when I watch Roger Federer play, you see a guy out there who seems emotionally balanced. You don't see him getting too high. You don't see him getting too low. You see him handling, you know, pressures pretty much the same. And then you see some other players who get really emotional on the court, sometimes in a positive way, sometimes in a negative way. What do you think is the best way to handle those situations? Again, that goes back to the assessment of the athlete. Um, John McEnroe, for example, uh, he dealt well with his own internal pressures by expressing himself outwardly. Roger Federer, on the other hand, will tell you that when he was expressing himself and his frustrations outward, it made him worse. That he had to learn to adjust and to not express those, that frustration outward, but to find a calm place inside. So different athletes deal with it differently. But I find that most athletes, if they can come to a calm place rather than an excited or fired up place, then they're probably more apt to maintain that. My athletes and I talk a lot about how long can we maintain a certain focus level. You can't focus and be hyped up for an entire tennis match, a five-set match at Wimbledon. You have to find a way to balance it, to not expend so much mental energy and find a relaxation standpoint. So we deal with it differently, but... Go ahead. No, that, that's what I was going to interject here. That, that, to me, is where the preparation part comes in. Because to me, mentally, one of the things that I work with people on all the time is establishing a game plan, a mental game plan for success, for failure, for mediocrity. How am I going to feel if I'm up, if I win the first set six love? What if I lose the first set love six? How am I going to handle it? What if it goes into a tiebreaker? How do I keep moving on? And that's where I, I always talk about focus on the effort rather than the result. I find too many people, and I know when I played competitive tennis growing up, I choked. If I knew the things I knew now as a sports psychologist when I played competitive tennis in high school, I would have been a lot better And when I played competitively after high school because I put a lot of pressure on myself to win because I felt like I had to. And I know a lot of athletes still struggle with that, and I'm sure that's something you have to deal with them on, even if, even, even if they're professionals at Wimbledon. You're exactly right. Um, and one of the main things that I try to teach my player currently is he looks at the win and loss as a definition of himself and try to get him to understand winning and losing doesn't define you. It's how you fight the battle, how you deal with yourself. Because we can't control how well the other guy plays. There are factors we can't control. Let's focus on the factors we can control. That'll give us a much more simple list to look at, a much more simple list to work on. And during the match, when the going gets tough, just go within your side, inside yourself and focus on what you can control. And you can control yourself. If we practice that, we practice it in practice, we practice it in the hotel room, every night before bed he practices, visualization and mind control exercises so that he knows how to maintain that focus when you know the chips are down and it's not looking too good. Let me ask and you. like you're saying, get, Sorry, let, yeah, let, get let me ask, off. Get, yeah. Let me ask you your definition of winning and losing. Well, that's a big question. Sounds simple, but it's not. Um, I mean, I have a young boy. I'm trying to teach him that winning is about how you, you know, carry yourself and how you compete, your respect for your opponent, your respect for yourself, and that coming out on top in the score isn't always winning. Uh, it's hard to get across, especially to a young, aggressive athlete, that, that winning is, is their way of living. Um, you know, I, I think you can lose a match, and I have lost matches in my own life 
or it was the best match I ever played. So I saw it as a success because I, I played so well. I managed myself as best I could. And if we can get athletes to look at, it's not the score always, it's how we manage our performance. And then, then the self-criticism is minimized, or at least decreased. You know, I feel that too many coaches, and I just had a conversation on my weekly radio show this past week in Kansas City with a uh, mother who called up about her six-year-old son who started competing in wrestling at age six and had a coach who demeaned him when he lost. And I see coaches having such a huge influence on young athletes today and putting these negative connotations and, and, and messages in their head that it affects them as they get older. And, and that's where, and in a sport like tennis, you don't win every, I mean, I don't care how good you are, you're not going to win a match, love, love, and win every point. I mean, it's rarely, rarely, rarely ever happens. So you have to have an even keel and a mindset and, and a learning process along the way to handle those things. And I'm sure at the level you're at now, coaching a, a player playing in Wimbledon, he's learned how to deal with that at some point along the way. Absolutely. We look at, uh, you know, you can go out there and uh, statistics, you can only win 49% of statistics, but a little bit of luck, a little bit of things going your way, you can come out on top even though statistically you may have lost the match. And there have been times that we had statistically served better, had higher serve percentages, we executed the things we wanted to work on very well and still lost. So it's, it's, it's difficult to really define for a lot of athletes what is success or not, you know, failure. And we have to be careful with that and just focus on the process. We don't set goals, uh, my players. We focus on a process, put a system in place that will get us where we want to go. And the goals will be met automatically. You know, that, that's, that. that's a great point because when I work with, with young athletes especially, I talk about two types of goals, materialistic goals and non-materialistic goals. And I always emphasize that the non-materialistic goals are the backbones for success. If you focus too much on statistics and numbers, scores, you're not focusing on what it takes you to get there. And, I, and so I try to get young athletes especially to learn that, you know, we set goals every, every season. But the goals are more about their effort, their attitude, their confidence, self-improvement. I'm also very big on, on athletes keeping journals and writing down on, on as much as they can on a daily basis about their day, about their training, and what they learned about themselves and setting a non-materialistic goal for the next day. How do you feel about that? Oh, I totally agree. Um, there's an old saying that you cannot improve what you don't measure. And if you're not measuring those things, you know, your mental attitude and how you felt that day on a daily basis, how do you know if you're improving in it? So if you measure those things, then we can work on them and include them in part of our process, not only our physical process or technique process, but our mental process of growth. Then we can have a better chance at succeeding. And so, you know, using phrases, uh, little statements to keep yourself online, uh, to keep in notes to have on the tennis court, to look at when, they, when you're starting to doubt yourself, to open up some notes and take a look at it and see some things that really mean something to you inside, deep inside, that just brings you back to you and what you're trying to achieve. You know, those things are huge for an athlete being developing a high self-esteem. Because our society really does uh, very quick to judge, very quick to measure uh, on things that aren't necessarily the best measures for an athlete. You know, tennis is a sport that's measured. There are rankings. Uh, you, you are evaluated on your your win-loss record. 
but really in the end, isn't it about how you feel about the way you played that, that tells you how you're doing more so than, the, than the, the, the numbers results? Well, that is something I try to get across to the athletes. Because since they were maybe 6, 8, 10 years old, they're measuring a win, even a bad win to them is a good win. You know, And that, that is true. Winning builds confidence for them. But at the same time, if everything is based on wins and you go through a, a slump, you're not the worst tennis player. Things just didn't it would go your way, maybe. Maybe we didn't execute the process uh, properly early enough. So it, it's, tough to, uh, it's tough to get a lot of these tennis players, especially because they're always chasing points. They're always chasing their win-loss records uh, to not look at that too heavily. So what, how do you get somebody to overcome that then, Kent? If, if you've got someone you're working with and you can sit there and talk about effort and, and all that, but they're being evaluated on their one-loss record about sponsorship, about what tournaments they can qualify for. How do you get them to look at that big picture and understand that more so? Through the evaluation process, if, if I can help these athletes get to the point where they realize that if I improve my serve percentage this certain amount, let's say I improve it 6%, and I improve my net play in a certain way, what, if they buy into that these steps in my game and these mental steps and the process it all fits in together if they buy into that and they say yes I want to I believe in that process I'm willing to not focus on the results so much right now if you get them to buy into that and then as a coach even if I'm not traveling with him I'm talking to him every single day I'm asking him to read me his notes keeping them on track because I'm not going to look at their win-loss record or how well they're, they're playing in that respect I'm looking at the process and they go back to looking at the wrong things so often that I have to say, okay, let's get back here. What is your focus today? What is one key element in your game that you're working on? And what is your one key element in your mental game, your mental uh, attitude? And if we give them a couple of simple things to look at, then they're more apt to be able to hold on to that and maintain a consistent level of effort, focusing on some simple tasks that build upon one another over time as part of our process. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way of looking at it. Give, can you give us an example of maybe something you've done in that realm to, to help somebody out specifically? Sure. Artem Sutak, he plays for the Davis Cup for New Zealand, and I've been coaching him seven years, and so I know him very well. And we're also best friends. And we've you know, talked to sports psychologists. We've brought in a lot of different people to help us get to the next level. And, for example, he is one of the fastest, most powerful athletes I've ever seen. But he was not effective at the net. He was getting to balls late. And he wasn't being a, a, an aggressive put-away player. And he was focusing on the shots. Everybody, all the other coaches are trying to talk to him about his volley. I'm like, no, it's not about that. Let's move your hips. Let's focus on training and balance and moving your hips to the ball. And if your hips get there, the rest of your body will be relaxed and you'll be able to function. So we, I got away from the volley that had been plaguing him for years and went to something that he could focus on, my hips, taking my hips to the ball. So we trained the gym for, for better hip flexibility and power, focus on the movement of the hips and practice, and then in the match, I'm videotaping things. I'm sitting there showing him examples of when he does it well. And all that simple process that took his eyes off of the old pressure of making the shot, now he starts making the shot, and he's really one of the smallers in the world moving across the court because he's thinking about one simple thing. You know, that makes a lot of sense. And obviously, 
at the level he's playing now, at a Davis Cup level and playing in Grand Slam tournaments, he gets it. What advice would you give the parents of young athletes who are listening to the show today, Kent, in terms of helping them develop their athletes to try to get this the right mindset? I've worked with a lot of young junior players, and, um, and, and being a parent myself, and I've coached the players of other coaches because they didn't think they should be coaching their own child. And too often parents uh, put so much pressure on their children. They mean well. I mean, all the parents, they really care a lot. They care almost too much. Um, if a parent can just focus on stepping away and praising the child. Just give them, I believe in you, and praise them for their work effort. Don't praise them for wins and losses. or Praise them on their attitude and their work effort. And the other side of that coin is find a coach, find somebody that works on process. That work and let that coach be the boss. I mean, Ken, I think that's great advice, and I think obviously you, you get it. That's why you're you're obviously coaching a player at Wimbledon, and you've been doing this for a while. As a parent of a young son, what do you want him to learn from all this? I want him to uh, learn about his work ethic, his work ethic, and that if he applies himself, he or she apply themselves, and they work hard. Uh, rather than being focused on talent. I'm not as talented as the other player. Or I'm not as smart as the other player or student. It's not about that. It's about the work ethic and how they apply themselves and are willing to keep trusting that if they do the right things, they put trust in a good coach, they put trust in the work ethic, that they, they can then raise their level over and over and over just a little bit at a time. And if, if my son or somebody else's child is, it can latch on to the belief that all I have to do is a little bit at a time and keep working hard, I can get better and better. Well, Ken, I want to thank you so much for joining us this morning. This has been a great interview, and uh, I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule at Wimbledon. It's been great to hear the, the ball bouncing in the background there. That, that, uh, that's a wonderful sound in my life. I've heard it my whole life, and I love tennis. And <laughs> great, great comments this morning, and, and good luck over there. I hope your player does well, and uh, thanks for joining us. Hope we can talk again. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. And I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. That was a great interview with Kent Wood live from Wimbledon this morning. This is Sports Psychology Today. You can listen to this show and all our other interviews on winnersunlimited.com. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Sports Psychology Today with Dr. Andrew Jacobs, Digital Edition. Find out more at winnersunlimited.com.